All right, well, once again, I'm really glad that you're here. We're talking about extending friendships, and um, I'd like to begin by talking about something you see every day, but you don't think about it twice. It's uh, on the back of a tow truck. It's uh, on a telephone pole. It's on the mast of a sailing ship. You've seen it in fresh pine shoots that come out every spring. You see it in the shape of the protein laminin, which is in every one of the five trillion cells in your body. You see it in outer space in the nucleus of the M51 galaxy made by two dust rings around the nebula. What is it? Well, it's the shape of a cross. You see it all the time, and you don't necessarily think the significance of it. The cross is a simple shape, right? Two intersecting perpendicular lines. But there in the cross is not just a symbol of Christianity, uh, but it is also a, a, a profound explanation of God's dream for the human race. I want you to think about it. Every time you see a cross in nature or on a, uh, or on a church or hanging around somebody's neck, uh, the, the vertical line means something very significant. The vertical line being longer, it represents that the most important thing in all of Scripture says that God is wanting to bring people up into relationship with himself. The vertical line suggests that a door has been opened in heaven so that we can be reconciled to God. We can have friendship with God. So once separated by our own choices, we are now brought up by the grace of Jesus. But also, you look at the cross, and it, it has this horizontal line, right? The horizontal line is saying the second most important thing in Scripture, that, which hangs on the most important thing, is that we humans be reconciled to each other. That it is part of Christ's work on the cross that he bring people together across all these sorts of spectrums. In the New Testament, it was like Jew, Gentile, slave, free, uh, man, woman, here, you know, all across all racial divides and all that sort of stuff. God has called us to be reconciled in a kind of peaceful, friendship, a loving community. Now, in fact, Jesus talked about this, so I'm not just sort of making this up after the fact. Jesus talked about um, uh, the significance of the cross just hours before he was strung up on a cross. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote for you a, a large portion of his high priestly prayer, which he prays with his disciples just before he goes to the cross. And I want you to see if you can't see the vertical and the horizontal as key pieces of Jesus' passion for you and me. Check this out. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, they being the disciples, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. That's the vertical line. You see it there? That we would be caught up into the loving community of God, restored in relationship with him, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. That's the horizontal bar. That we would have unity, you and I together, uh, in the church to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, that is a beautiful picture of the cross, isn't it? It is the restoration along two axes. But now look, there's a third thing. Look at the last thing that Jesus prayed for. There is a third thing. His cross is about loving God, and it's about loving one another, and from those two things together, loving the world. Extending friendship, in other words, to outsiders. So let's just look at this just a little bit more deeply. He starts praying for who? He says, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, who will believe in me through their message. Who's he talking about? 
He's talking about you and me when he says those who will believe. Those of you in this room who follow Jesus today, he was praying for you. But if understand something. If Jesus was praying for those who will believe, that means at the time of the prayer, they don't believe, right? So catch Jesus' heart in this. His heart is not just to have 12 disciples and call that good. His heart is that there would be many people who aren't currently following or believing that would come to follow and come to believe. And then, if those who become followers live in loving unity with God, the vertical piece, and in loving community with one another, the horizontal piece, then what will happen? Who will be the beneficiaries of that? He says it twice. Who will be the beneficiaries of people living in unity with God and unity with one another? The world. Did you catch it? He says it twice. The world will be the beneficiary. So this prayer reveals Jesus' passion for outsiders. I mean, he's just crazy nuts in love with lost sheep. At the dead center of his passion are non-followers. At the dead center of his church, then, will be the purpose to invite everybody around us into the cross. And now we know what that means. To invite people up vertically into acceptance and forgiveness and new life through the grace of Jesus, and then invite people up into horizontally to be adopted into his kingdom family. It's a beautiful picture, and it's a theme you can pull out of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. If you had to kind of identify a theme, it is simply this, that God is within his own, uh, with his own being a community of persons, and he wants to draw up a people of his very own who will experience the kind of communal oneness and intimacy that he enjoys within his own nature from all eternity. That's the Bible. So, I hope you get God's heart in this. I mean, God is just passionate about inclusion. Jesus was passionate about inclusion. God is an inclusive God. The gospel is inclusive, not exclusive, as many may think. Now, the only thing exclusive about it is that the front door to the kingdom is narrow, the way Jesus defined it, but the door itself is wide open. Now, think about those two things. The door is narrow, but the door is wide open to everybody. What that means is that anyone can come in who wants to, but because the door is narrow, it's true, some people won't want to. How does that work? Well, when you study the teachings of Jesus, you realize that by narrow, he means that the door into the kingdom is labeled humble and contrite hearts only. That's basically a boundary condition for entry into the kingdom. The door is labeled abandoned pride and self-righteousness all ye who enter here. That could be another label in front of the low-hanging, narrow door of the kingdom. The door is labeled confession and repentance. The door is labeled, here, Jesus, King alone. These are some sort of boundary conditions for the entry into the kingdom. But the door itself is wide open. And once inside, the house is forgiveness of sins, God's spirit to comfort and to guide, full adoption, acceptance, life eternal. So in that sense, we could say the kingdom is both inclusive and exclusive, but only in the sense that the door is small, not because the door is closed to you because of a particular temptation that you have or a particular uh, background that you have or a particular uh, thing you've got in your uh, sinful past. It's not closed for anyone on those grounds. And if you understood the scripture, you would see over and over again how God wants everyone to make it through the narrow door. He just wants that for everybody. Now, it may not happen for everybody, but God wants it for everybody. 
Speaking of which, have you come through the door? I mean, we can't keep going talking about extending friendship before I sort of lay the question out there. I would be remiss if I didn't. Have you come through the open door? I mean, it's very simple. It is simply a faith commitment that you make, an entrusting of yourself unto the mercy of Christ. And this, the Bible says, is the permission that God is seeking to uh, come and apply all the saving benefits of the cross to you, which is to catch you up into the life of God, forgiveness of sin, the Holy Spirit inside, and new life and hope for eternity, and catching you up into adoption into the family of God, where you are one with brothers and sisters, not just in this local expression of the church, but around the world, really up to a billion of us now alive on the planet today. Have you, have you made that faith commitment? If so, you should be marked with the sign and seal of baptism. That's why we're doing that next week. You understand, there's an inner reality that takes place through the supernatural activity of God when you, by faith, enter into um, the Christian experience. And when God's grace then gets operative in your life that washes you clean and changes you on the inside and baptism becomes the outer expression of the inner reality, and, and maybe this is your time. And if so, it's not too late for you. Just sign up, call the church office, talk to me. We'll get it done. Now, um, once we're clear on this, once we're clear on how rabidly nuts God is about you, about everybody, about including outsiders in, now the next question. How are people who don't currently believe, how are people who don't currently follow going to become believers and followers? How's that going to get done? And the answer is it's going to get done through current believers and followers. That's God's plan A. And there is no plan B. God has in mind for you to be his agent of inclusion. And, and if there's any doubt about that, let's just go to the Apostle Paul who said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. See, he's talking about the cross, the reconciliation work of the cross. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself, that's the vertical piece, uh, through Christ. And now catch this, and gave us, us humans, us mere humans, the ministry of reconciliation. That God is reconciling the world to himself, that's our message, not counting men's sins against them, that's our message, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He signed you up when you signed up for uh, the cross. Now that means that for everybody in this room who calls Jesus master, extending friendship to outsiders is not optional. You're on the team now. That's what you do. That is just part of your DNA. That is part of the role and expectation of the name Christ. And if you're a Christian, of course, you bear the name Christ, which is kind of cool, right? When you get adopted, you get a new name. And when you come to Christ, you now are called a Christian. You carry Christ's name. The name carries a role. It carries an expectation. We, know, we understand something about names and expectations, don't we? And if your last name is Manning, well, there's an expectation that you are an all-star NFL quarterback, right? I hate to be the third Manning brother, wouldn't you? The guy who doesn't play in the NFL. If your name is Clinton or Bush, well, you have been or you will be a president someday. I guess we've just decided that we can only get people in the White House who have those last names. And then um, uh, Kardashian, of course, that, you know, there's a role expectation there too, right? Uh, Hollywood socialite who's famous for being famous. That's your role if you have that name. You're not finding that as funny as I did. Okay, so 
So Christian uh, carries a role, expectation. What it means to carry the name of Christ is that you are a participant now in God's cosmic plan to include the nations in his new community. That's your role expectation because you have his name. What a responsibility. Now, some of you might be freaked out by the responsibility. It's intimidating. It is intimidating. That's one of the reasons why in extended all month long, in this extended teaching, we've offered this elective where our whole goal is to demystify being an agent of inclusion because that can be so intimidating. But if you're really, you know, freaked out about it, listen, understand, we get a little training just from Jesus himself. How do you go about doing that? How do you go about being an agent of inclusion? Don't freak out. Jesus gives you some great instruction on this in the Sermon on the Mount where he's talking to his disciples, and here's what he said. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So, the first key to figuring out how am I going to become an agent of inclusion is to figure out what those two metaphors mean, right? We've got to figure out what salt and light means, and then we'll get started on being agents of inclusion. Now, to understand those metaphors, we have to back up. Let's get some context. Just before Jesus calls you, his follower, salt and light, he has talked about what has now become famously known as the Beatitudes. We talked about this uh, in an earlier series this year when we talked about the best sermon ever. We explained all these Beatitudes. They're beautiful. And they're basically a description of Jesus' kingdom people. To review, they are the blessed, happy, and favored ones who inhabit Jesus' kingdom, and these are the descriptors of them. The blessed of the happy, the favored by God, are those who are faith-filled, humble, serving, righteous, merciful, authentic, peaceful, and persevering in persecution. In, in sum, this is a person with radically changed character. If you could just imagine these character qualities being in one person, you, this would make you different, right? This would make you radically different. Imagine you were this Beatitudes kind of person. You would be a walking billboard. You would be a walking advertisement for what this whole cross life is about. This idea of being reconciled to God and being brought in unity with God's people, you'd be demonstrating that through these character qualities. Man, that would be an attractive picture, wouldn't it? So right after Jesus says, these are what my followers are like. These are the blessed people in my kingdom. Right after he says that, he says, these people are salt. So now catch that. What does salt do? What, what is it for? Well, one thing in their culture that we no longer use it for because we have refrigeration, they did not. Salt was used to preserve food. When you rubbed salt into meat, you, you essentially kept it from decay, in, in many cases, indefinitely. You could indefinitely preserve food by just rubbing a bunch of salt into it. So it has a preservation factor. And then it also was for what we use it for, which is to flavor food, to make food taste good. So here's what Jesus is saying. After listing the Beatitudes, he says, through a changed life, a kingdom friend preserves society wherever they're found. Through a changed life, a kingdom friend flavors society by being attractive. So the first key to being an agent of inclusion for the world 
ironically, is to be different from the world. That the way you become an agent of inclusion for the world is to be completely different from the world. Imagine everybody who followed Jesus was like this, was just radically different, full of New Testament qualities. What are the New Testament qualities? Well, you don't even have time to go through them all, but like things like full of joy and love and faith and trust in God and abounding in hope and deficient in anxiety and worry and sexually sane and self-controlled and serving others and not arrogant or crude, people who pay taxes and obey laws, people who are kind to strangers and who extend compassion to the needy, people who work hard and provide well and don't expect a free ride, self-reliant, people who are not into materialism or serial marriages or being takers, people who respect and cherish the awesome, awesome gift of life. Imagine everybody who followed Jesus was that kind of person. Wow, that's being salt. So the first step in being an agent of inclusion is to show your faith, not to share your faith. That's the first step, to show your faith. Now, do you need help with that? We talk about this all the time, right? The end game for people who follow Jesus is to look more like him. And that can be so overwhelming, can't it? It can be so mystical and ethereal. How do you get a handle on being like Jesus? We want to help you. That's why we talk about our critical electives in a C301 application, to apply what you've learned from the New Testament. And these critical classes that we offer, we cycle through them all the time. What are they about? They are finally about you adopting certain habits and practices that are key to forming the character of Christ in you. And you're going to get salty. You're going to get salty. Not in your language, okay? In your character. In your character. All right, but notice Jesus uses another metaphor, right? Another metaphor to describe our role as agents of inclusion, and that metaphor is light. What does this emphasize? This emphasizes clear communication. That's what light does, right? Think about light. Light pushes back darkness. It makes things clear. So to illustrate, have you ever gone camping and in the darkness sometimes you turn and something in the woods scares you? But then it comes into the campfire light and then you can totally relax because you see that it's just your wife who's been deprived of a mirror, makeup, and a good night's sleep for four days. Uh, now that's never happened to me. I just thought it was a good illustration of what light does. So that's light, right? Light, light makes things that are fuzzy or confusing or scary, it makes them clear. It makes them understandable. So to truly be light, we have to be able to clear things up. We have to be able to point the way to truth. So first, we have to understand the Christian gospel. In our evangelical circles, what happens, uh, brothers and sisters, is that we emphasize so much the experience of God that some of us cannot articulate why it is so. Now, now does, is Christianity uh, work because it's true, or is it true because it works? Do we should be able to articulate the truth of the Christian faith. And especially today, there's a marketplace of worldviews. There's a marketplace of ideas. You should be able to articulate why Christianity is different, and how is it distinct from pantheism, or Hinduism, or secular humanism. Why is it different? Why did you pick the cross and not the crescent? You should know that. You should be able to articulate that, at least at a very basic level. Secondly, we should be able to give reasons for it, to be able to communicate our personal reasons. And yes, there we do get into our experience a little bit, because that's irrefutable, right? There may be many objections to the Christian faith, and you don't have to be an expert in knowing how to answer all of them, but you should be an expert in be able to communicate your story. Your experience in Christ should be 
something that you could communicate in 30 seconds to a total stranger. That you could just have a before, a cross, and then an after. Part to your story. And this is a beautiful illustration of this. There was one time a blind man who Jesus healed. And he didn't know all the ins and outs of Jesus. Here he is. He's, you know, son of David. He's Messiah, mysteriously connected all the messianic promises. He's making grand claims about his own personage. You, you saw in his prayer, I and the Father are one. What does that all mean? This guy doesn't know that stuff. So they grill him about it. Hey, that guy who healed you, is he a liar? Is he, is he, a, is he a, a false prophet? What, what, what's his? I don't know. He says, I, 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 can t I was blind and now I see. I'm, I'm with that dude. That's basically his, his story. Once I was blind, now I see. You should be able to articulate your life-changed story. The Christianity is so simple, a child can understand it. And so there are certain kind of Bible verses that like, are the entire Bible, summarized in a verse, and you should commit some of those to memory. John 3.16, which some of you have done. Here's another one, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. These are verses that are like the whole Bible in a verse. And it, it kind of can explain the Christian message in a way that's clear to bring light. Now, to some extent, I want you to understand something about light and salt. Light and salt are independent qualities. And you can have one and not the other. And what's that like? Think about that for a second. There may be people who see changed character in you. They say, hey, I'm intrigued. But eventually, if all they think is you're a nice guy, then who gets the credit for that? You do. But wasn't Jesus very clear about this? He was clear that when you're salt and when you're light, people should see that and give glory to your Father in heaven. So you can have the salty, changed character, but you're too intimidated about being light, and no one knows why you're different. Why are you so unique in a world of self and all that jazz? At the same time, uh, we could be people who are very light-oriented. We could, we could explain Christianity easily. We're... We're good talkers. We're not intimidated uh, by hard questions. Uh, we know what Jesus came to do, but we're jerks. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we fail to display the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in such, what good does that do? Now, is that not the narrative from outsiders about the Christian faith? That uh, a lot of light, blinding light, but I'm not seeing any salt. These things are independent qualities, but Jesus is telling you that they need to work together for you to be an effective agent of inclusion. Now, here's a third thing. Jesus brings out another reason to use these metaphors, to act as a preservative. What did we say about salt? It has to be rubbed into the meat, right? For light to be most effective, it needs to be in a dark place. And we take that for granted, but this morning during the 9 o'clock service, right at this point in my sermon, boom, the lights went out. Yeah, this place was black. Then we could appreciate light. Light does a lot of work when it's the blackest, when it's the darkest. They both, salt and light, both have to come into contact to do their thing. So what Jesus is saying is that all these things must be working together. You got the change character, you got the clear communication, and you got the close contact. So now maybe some of us are truly experiencing changed character. Uh, we're salty, we're growing in the knowledge and the image of Christ, but the truth is, the longer you're in Christ, the farther you're drifting away from people who don't know him. Your relational circle is getting more and more church. Church, church, church. And that's cool for building you up and encouraging you and all that stuff, but friend, to be an agent of inclusion, what do we say about salt? It's only useful when it infiltrates. 
same thing conversely with, uh, with light. You know, some of you could explain Christianity really well, but frankly, you're, you're, you're deathly afraid of your unchurched neighbor. They scare you, they intimidate you, so you never initiate in relationship. And you need to understand something, AC3. Light makes the biggest difference in the darkest places. So there's got to be that close contact piece. So now I want to bring this to application for you. We've got three things going on here. And I bet you, you could identify this morning with the Holy Spirit's help inside, which of these three things you're going to struggle with most. What's it going to be? Is it change character? You look around and you say, my relational circle is filled with people who are not Christians. Oh, but I, I kind of look more like them than I look like Jesus. Or maybe it's clear communication. I, I think I'm walking a distinct lifestyle, but I, I, I couldn't articulate this. I'm deeply intimidated by that. Or maybe it's this close contact thing. It's like I, I don't have anybody in my circle who, who doesn't know Jesus, who I would identify as far from God or seeking or investigating. Everybody I know are insiders. I bet even as I'm speaking to you that God is identifying the, the area where with his help he would like to make you a better agent of inclusion. Change character, clear communication, close contact. What's it going to be? Now, just to summarize, let's just cement this with something Paul said. Is there any question about how important these three things are? Paul will talk about it again in a letter, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, where all three are included. See if you can pull them out. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, Paul says. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see them? All three are there. Paul is saying we need to have wisdom. That's changed character. As we interact with non-Christians, notice he picks up on Jesus' words, salt. Gracious speech is kind speech. It's attractive speech. And then next, we need to be looking for opportunities. Make the most of opportunities, which assumes you're going to have opportunities, which means you're going to be in contact with people who are seeking, investigating, of a different worldview than you if you follow Jesus. And then finally, we need to see to it that we're prepared in those moments to have an answer, to know how to answer, to clearly communicate grace. So how do you start? Let me demystify this for you. It's easiest often to start with a salty piece. Just get salty. See needs, meet needs. That's how you get it going. Just get it going. See needs, meet needs. I was over at my folks' house uh, a few winters ago, developed a bit of a relationship with a couple of the neighbors, and I was snowblowing in the middle of winter in Manitoba. We were snowblowing their driveway. And I just decided I would keep my workload going that day, and I would snowblow the other two driveways of these people I was getting to know. Now, I know you don't have a snowblower, but have you ever thought that your mower might be a tool of inclusion? Your mower just might be a tool of inclusion. Uh, when uh, our boys were small, uh, John and I volunteered in public school in their classroom setting. And I, can, I can't tell you how many cool friendships developed out of that, and with teachers and with parents, and significant conversations and, 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 and high-stakes conversations. It was just awesome, the doors that God opened. Same thing. I, I go to the Y every week. I play basketball with a bunch of guys, and a lot of them are far from God, and we're asking questions, and they're asking questions. And whew, high-stakes conversations. It's awesome. Do you have a widow down the block? Do you have a kid on your street, bored, nothing to do? Is there a soccer team that, you, that needs a coach? Is there somebody who needs some groceries? Is there a neighbor who needs a few bucks just to get through some lean times? Is there a coworker who just needs you at work 
to walk across the room and say hi. Is there a needy family that your small group could adopt as their own? You know, so many people, ACC. There's so many people, and yeah, you know, I get it. We all have shiny exteriors. American suburban life. You live in a shiny house with a shiny wife and a couple of shiny kids and a couple of shiny cars. And everybody looks good. Have you ever looked underneath the surface? You have. You live in your own skin underneath the surface, and you know it's not all as it seems, right? And how is that different, then, for the person who doesn't know God, the person who's apart from Christ, the person who's not enfolded into the cross? It's just as real for them. The struggles and the pain, their lives are very often defined by pain. And if you got to the bottom of the pain, it would be finally about their sinful choices and that of other people. God brought this clear to me just recently. I was driving my car. I was actually going to the Y, going from work, and I was here on Grove Street, stopped at a stoplight, when suddenly I, I heard yelling. And I looked at my rearview mirror, and it was the couple in the car behind me. And it was, it was so noisy, it went through their glass and through mine. And clear in my picture, man, woman, I don't know if they're married, and baby in the back seat. Yelling, yelling, wild. horrendous but you know i'm in my car the light turns green and i move forward i can't take my eyes off this so i keep looking looking on the road looking at my rear view mirror and it looks like it's going to get violent they pull over i pull over i'm like ahead of them by about 300 feet but i can still see dis in the distance in my rear view mirror it's getting worse it's getting violent there's actual physical blows now i get out of my car i step up and as soon as i do i look up and the car has taken off now they've blown away in front of me i said god why did you show that to me I, I prayed for that family. I still do. I drive by that spot, and for the last months since I saw that, I keep praying for them. I pray, God, bring them to the church. Bring them to my office. I, I, maybe I could be your agent of inclusion somehow personally, but I think God showed that to me to give me a little bit of a look under the skin of our town. And there underneath it all, there's dark secrets and hard behaviors and broken relationship. And is it not true these people need the cross they need to be reconciled to God. They need the peacemaking of the grace of Jesus in their relationships and to be adopted into the family of God. They need. And then I said to myself, who's going to build that bridge? Are they going to build that bridge? Are they going to take the first step? No, they're immobilized. And speaking of that, I, I leave you with this story. Bob Butler lost his legs to a landmine in Vietnam. 20 years later, he was working in his garage when he heard screaming coming from next door. He rushed over in his wheelchair, and when he got to the neighbor's backyard, he saw the mother screaming at the side of the pool with her three-year-old daughter lying motionless at the bottom of the pool. Without hesitation, immediately, Bob jumped out of his wheelchair and dove into the pool. He retrieved the girl, brought her up, no pulse, no breathing. Her face was blue. Butler immediately started CPR while the mother sobbed helplessly. During that, he whispered comfort to her. He said, don't worry, he said. I was her arms to get her out of the pool. Now I'm her lungs. Together, we can make it. Suddenly, after terrible, tense seconds, the girl coughed. She regained consciousness and began to cry. And as they hugged and celebrated, the mother turned to Bob and said, how did you know? 
know. I mean, how did you know it's going to be okay? I didn't know, he confessed. I, I didn't know. But I'll tell you this. When my legs were blown off in the war, no one was there but a little Vietnamese girl. And as she fought and fought and fought to drag me, a full-grown man, to her village, she whispered in broken English, it okay, you can live. I be your legs. Casey Free, those lost sheep are loved by God. In immobilized, you know, I mean, if you were once on the outside, you get it. You were immobilized. See, they they can't make the first move. But we can. As agents of inclusion, we can make the first move. Will you do that for them? You, salty, light-filled friend, you can be their arms, their legs, their lungs as Jesus' agents of inclusion. Let me pray for you. God, what might you do through all the people in this room, followers of Jesus, salty, light-filled friends who maybe just walk across a room can't imagine. It could just be so awesome, the restoration, reconciliation uh, movement that you could ignite, the fire you could ignite, if we all just understood our role in bearing the name of Jesus is to be an agent of inclusion. Would you inspire us today, oh God? And would you empower us today by your Holy Spirit operating inside? And may we be the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I pray this in the name of Jesus.